If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. We're in Matthew chapter 8 as we continue in this sermon series that we have entitled, But First, A Study of the Priorities of Jesus. And as we read in Matthew chapter 8, we're going to see that there are people in the crowd who are fans of Jesus. They're just fans. They come to hear him teach. They hit the like button on a lot of his stuff. If he were on social media, they would hit like a lot because they kind of like what he has to say, and they're intrigued by it. But when they begin to step out of the crowd to go from fans to followers, Jesus begins to talk about the cost of discipleship. Jesus begins to talk about the cost of following him, and he thereby begins talking about the priorities that a follower of Jesus must have. So you must understand, this is very important information for us here at Redeemer Church, because we see our mission as this, that we make disciples. That's the reason we exist. And so if you come to Redeemer Church and you are not a follower of Jesus, you do not consider yourself a follower, our prayer is, is that you would become a follower of Jesus. And if you come to Redeemer Church and you already consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then our prayer for you and our hope for you and everything we do is designed to help you follow the Savior more closely, to have a better relationship with him. And so as Jesus talks in this text, if he is clarifying what it means to follow him, then we here at Redeemer Church want to hear what he has to say. And I hope you want to hear what he has to say as well. Hear now Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 18 to 27, and I'll pray for us, and then we'll dig in. Hear now God's word. Now when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for clarifying what it means to follow Jesus. I pray that you would make it even more clear to us now. And for my friends who are here, deciding whether to be a follower of Jesus or not, I pray that you would be at work in their hearts and that you would be very 
clear with them, that you would do business, that you would speak to them through your word. And for those here who are already followers, I pray that you would remind them what it means and that you would encourage them to keep following Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would be willing to do all of this, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It's really funny to me that if you begin to talk to people in our culture, there are a lot of folks who will say, I hate the church, I hate religion, I hate denominations, but I like Jesus. I like him. I like his teaching. And if you ask them why, because to me there's kind of a disconnect. I don't understand how that goes together, right? But if you ask folks, they'll often say something like this. We'll say, well, Jesus, you know... He's so loving and kind, and he just loves everybody, and that's what we need more of in the world today. So I really like Jesus, but I kind of question all that other stuff. Well, when I hear people say that, I always wonder to myself, and let me just be clear, all of that is true. Jesus is kind and loving, and the world does need more of that in it, absolutely. But when people tell me that, I often wonder if they've read the gospel accounts about Jesus. You might want to ask them sometime if they have. Because when I read Jesus and I hear what he said, sometimes Jesus doesn't sound so meek and mild and kind and loving to me. Sometimes Jesus says things that are hard. In fact, there are whole books written on it. I got this out of Randall Yelverton's library. I borrowed it to prepare it this week, and it's a whole book on the hard sayings of Jesus. It's like 260-something pages. There are 70 of them that F.F. Bruce analyzes, and we're going to look at two of them today. So, so it's a thing. I'm not just crazy. There are hard sayings. Other people find his sayings to be hard as well. I mean, you would think... That when people began to step out of the crowd to follow Jesus, he would make it easy to follow. That's generally what we do, right? We, we try to make it easy. All you got to do is hit like, hit follow in the bio, right? Hit the follow button. But Jesus, as people begin to step out of the crowd and they want to be followers, it's almost like he makes it, it harder to follow him. Jesus is very direct. He's very real. He's very honest with people who say, hey, I want to follow you. And he really calls on them to count the cost and say, hey, are you sure this is what you want? And we see Jesus doing that in these three vignettes that we're going to look at, these three little scenarios where we're asked, are you sure you want to follow Jesus? So for those of us who are thinking about following Jesus, we're thinking about coming out of the crowd and following him more closely, or for those of us who are learning to walk more closely with the Savior, let's take a look at these three vignettes that we see here and see what we learn from each one. Vignette number one. Number one. What I see here is that followers of Jesus must be willing to be excluded and experience loss for identifying with Jesus. That's a long first point. <laughs> That's long. Say that again. 
Followers of Jesus must be willing to be excluded and experience loss for identifying Jesus. You see it right there in the text, verse 19. This guy comes up and says, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And in verse 20, Jesus just kind of drops this riddle on him, this rhyme, right? He just says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's Jesus' response. Just lets it sit out there. That's all he says. I don't know if I'm this guy. I'm like, really? My one time talking to Jesus when I get him, you know, separate talking to me out of the crowd, that's all I get? What does Jesus mean? What is he saying in this weird riddle, this rhyme, this kind of poem that he quotes? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I think Jesus is saying to the man, are you sure you want to follow me wherever I go? Right? I think he's at least saying that, right? God said, hey, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, are you sure? Are you sure you want to follow me wherever I go? Because Jesus knows where he's going and the things that he will face. And when he says this about foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, I don't think Jesus is saying that he was literally homeless. If you read the gospel accounts, he seems to have a home in Nazareth. And then when he moves his ministry in Matthew chapter 4 to Capernaum, I think he has a house there. But when he travels around in his ministry, there are times that he stays in the home of people, but there are times Jesus is not welcome. And so he has to sleep outside. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then he's saying, if you're going to be with me, then you're going to face that kind of thing as well. That's what I think Jesus is saying. I mean, we see indications of the text right here in 814, before this, Jesus entered Peter's house and heals Peter's mother-in-law, so presumably he has a a place to stay then. We know whenever he goes to Bethany that he stays with Mary and Martha and Lazarus there in Bethany is a place that he often stays. But there are times Jesus is not welcome, and he has to sleep outside. So we asked this fellow, are you sure you want to follow me wherever I go? Because sometimes I'm not welcome. And if you identify with me, then there are going to be some places you are not welcome as well. I wonder, have you ever been someplace that you didn't feel welcome because you identified with Jesus? Because people knew you were a Christian. I don't mean just because you were a jerk one day or something, right? And you happen to be a Christian and then you're excluded. No, no. I mean, you identify with Jesus and for that reason, you felt excluded or you felt less than. So that happens to us sometimes in the workplace, doesn't it? It happens sometimes in our neighborhood, sometimes at school, Sometimes in the classroom, sometimes when you go to college or in grad school. I went to law school at the University of Georgia, and I remember I had this class called Marriage and Family Law. It was one of those classes that everybody had to take. It was at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and because it only met twice a week, it was one of those hour and 20-minute long classes. At 2 o'clock after lunch, people were sleepy, right, and it's a long class. 
And there I was, happy to be there, studying the law, and was the proud president of the Christian Legal Society in marriage and family law class. And I got called on all the time. And I don't think that professor was picking on me. I think it was probably more or less like, everybody's falling asleep, I'm losing everybody, I'll call on Mr. Barber over here because he'll say some crazy stuff that the Bible says, and that'll get some discussion stirred up, right? That'll get people awake. So I don't know that he was picking on me, and if he was, I mean, oh great, first world problems, the biggest persecution you face is you got called on in law school in your marriage. But it was hard. People think you're weird, right? When you begin to say things that are much different than what the culture says and to begin to defend positions like that, people don't want to be your friend. People don't sit next to you because you're going to get called on all the time, right? We have that experience. Maybe you felt that way, that because you identify with Jesus, it costs you. And if it hasn't happened to you, if you begin to identify with Jesus, sometimes it's going to cost you, even here in the buckle of the Bible belt. Sometimes it's going to cost you a grade if you're in school or a letter grade. Sometimes it's going to cost you a job. Sometimes it's going to cost you a raise. Sometimes it's going to cost you a promotion. Sometimes it's going to cost you friends. There are people who don't want to hang out with you or do things with you. Sometimes it's going to cost you an invitation. Let's not invite them because we might have to change the things that we want to do if they are here. Sometimes when we identify with Jesus, it costs us popularity. But Jesus is so honest here. When this guy says, are you, you know, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus says, are you willing to be excluded? Are you willing to experience loss for identifying with me? Jesus is very clear about that. Just two chapters before, three chapters before this in the Beatitudes as Jesus is describing his followers. In Matthew 5 and verse 11, he says, blessed are you when others revile you. That means they insult you or they make fun of you. Blessed are you when others revile you. Oh, I'm supposed to consider that a blessing. Okay. When they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's helpful. Thank you, Jesus. It is good to know that I do have a reward in heaven, that if I identify with Jesus, you know, in the future my reward is going to be great. I'm glad to know that that in the past they made fun of prophets who went before me, and, and they were faithful, so that helps me to be faithful. But sometimes looking to the future and just thinking about folks in the past doesn't always make it easy right now. What about right now, Jesus? It's hard to be excluded and to experience loss. But we're with Jesus. And so it's okay. Because Jesus is enough. And he more than makes up for the losses we face. We've been singing about that all morning. I hope you've caught that. That yes, there is loss in following Jesus, but if you're with Jesus, it more than makes up for the things that are lost.
that's a hard thing to learn. I think of the Apostle Paul who writes about this in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4.13 is a, an often quoted verse. Athletes put it on their you know, eye paint, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's look at the context of that. The Apostle Paul, who by the way when he writes this is in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in jail. And what does he say? He says, I have learned. <laughs> I have learned. That means he probably didn't just do it right away from the beginning, right? It took him a while. So it may take a while. But Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Good, what is the secret? Because this guy's in prison, and he's writing about joy. And he's calling other people to rejoice. And there's a peace and a calm and a joy that he has in prison. And he's saying he's learned the secret. Great, what is the secret? Because I need that, right? Then he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus is enough. We do experience loss when we follow him, but Jesus and being with Jesus more than makes up for it. That's vignette one, right? Scenario one. Followers of Jesus have to be willing to experience loss for identifying with him. Look at vignette number two. You see it there in verses 21 and 22. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. <laughs> that sounds harsh, Jesus. Poor guy, lost his dad, just wants to go to the funeral, and you're saying, forget that, follow me. Jesus is calling followers here. He's saying that followers of Jesus must put following Jesus above everything else. He's saying, people who follow me have to put following me above everything else, even your father's funeral. Now, you need to understand what's going on here. In this day and time, burials took place the day a person died, right? We didn't have embalming and all, not the techniques that we have now and that sort of thing, preparing the body. You know, they generally buried the person the day that they died. Read Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They just bury them as soon as they die. That was sort of the custom of this day. And if this guy's dad had died that day, then he probably wouldn't be out in the crowd following Jesus and had been kind of walking around listening to him teach all day, okay? So it's not that this guy's dad is dead. His dad's probably still alive, and what this guy is saying is he wanted to look after his dad during his declining years as a good son would do, as good daughters wear mine would do, right? Taking care of their folks until his death. And at that point, he, was, he would follow Jesus. So what this guy is basically saying is at some point in the future, I will follow you, but first... I'm going to do something else, and it's a really important thing. It's a good thing. It's a big thing. So I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but not now. First, I'm going to go and do something 
else, in this case, taking care of his aging dad. So basically, he's putting something else before following Jesus. He's not saying no. He's just saying not now. We do that sometimes, don't we? Can you relate to this guy in the text? I talk to people about following Jesus. Well, I hope so. You're a pastor. Yes, I talk to people about following Jesus, and sometimes they say to me, if I get close enough to them and they're willing to be honest with a preacher, they'll say, yeah, I, I want to follow Jesus. That's something that's important to me. But first, I want to you know, live life a little bit. First, I want to sow my wild oats. First, I want to live the college life. And they have this idea of what that means. And so I'll follow Jesus one day, but first I'm going to get married. I'm going to find a spouse. And then I'll settle down and I'll follow Jesus. Sometimes folks get married and they say, well, yeah, I mean, you know, finding a good church is important to us. But first, I feel like I really need to get established in my career and I need to get my career secure and then I'll follow Jesus. Sometimes we say that as we keep working, right? Yes, I've gotten married. I've gotten established in my career. I want my kids in church some so y'all can teach them that stuff. But I want to get my retirement secure, then I'll follow Jesus. Again, we're saying, not saying no, we're just saying not now. We do that, don't we? I'll follow Jesus later. But I don't want to give up this good thing that I have before that. And again, Jesus, in classic Jesus style, just drops this rhyme. Just drops this riddle. I feel so sorry for this guy because he says, Jesus said, follow me, verse 22, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And I read that and I'm like, oh my gosh, what does Jesus mean by that? And I immediately run to Randall's library and get books and read about what are all the things Jesus could mean when he said, this guy didn't have a commentary. He just had Jesus drop this riddle on him and get in a boat and leave. Bless him, that's hard. What does Jesus mean when he says, let the dead bury the dead? Well, he can't mean let the physically dead bury those who are physically dead because physically dead people can't bury other people. So I don't think that's what he's saying. So what does he mean? I think Jesus is saying let the spiritually dead bury those who are physically dead. See, he's got to play on words there. He's clever, that Jesus fella. I think Jesus is saying people who are not born again spiritually, people who are not sensitive to the claims of the kingdom of God can take care of this kind of stuff. But Jesus is saying if you've been born again, if you have spiritual life, if you see the kingdom of God breaking into the kingdom of this world and you hear my call to follow me, then you need to follow me now without delay. That there's not anything that's more important than following Jesus. That's why this vignette's teaching us followers of Jesus must put following Jesus above all else. We're called to trust Jesus with our life. We're called to trust Jesus with the life of our family. 
called to trust Jesus with our children, with our job, with our retirement. I don't know what you think when you hear me say that, but that's scary to us, isn't it? And it sounds kind of harsh to hear Jesus say, you need to put me before all those things that are really, really important. But listen to me. Jesus knows. And over time, followers of Jesus learn. That letting go of those good things... And holding on to Jesus and following him above all else is the best way to care for your family. Oh, it's not intuitive. It doesn't seem like it. But Jesus knows, and over time, the followers of Jesus learn that letting go of these other things so that we can hold on to Jesus and follow him above all else is the best thing for your marriage. It's the best thing for your job. It's the best thing for your kids. Because Jesus cares about those things far more than we do. Now, there's some mamas in here right now saying, no, he doesn't. Jesus loves your children more than you love your children. Jesus knows what's best for our family more than we know what's best for our family. And it is hard for us to admit that and to let go. But ultimately, even if you make all the right decisions for your job and all the right decisions for your family, you never make a mistake, which is a horrendous pressure to put yourself under. But even if you were able to do that, one day you will die and not be here for your family or your friends or your job. And Jesus is always there. And he always makes the right decisions. And ultimately, he is the only one who can come through for them. And Jesus shows that in this third vignette, where he calms the sea. And we see here in this third one that followers of Jesus must still endure storms. Now, let me just say, I did not see this story as related to the first two when I first started looking at this. I thought, well, Matthew is showing that Jesus has control over nature. He stops a storm. Then the next story, he has control over evil spirits because he casts out demons. And he has control over physical things because he heals somebody. And that all goes together about Jesus' control and power over the world. And, and Matthew is making that point. He is saying, hey, look, Jesus controls everything. And he tells three stories in a very Jesus-like fashion in order to show that. But as I started looking at this, I was like, wait a minute, this story goes with the two vignettes we've looked at. Why would I say that? Look at verse 18, if you've got your Bible. Remember, Jesus says, let's get in the boat and go on the other side. Then the person comes up to him and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he talks about foxes and birds. Then the other guy says, hey, I, you know, I want to follow you, but let me bury my father first. And then Jesus responds to him, and then Jesus is getting in the boat. So he's already started this process of getting in the boat in verse 18. This just happened on the way. And then when you read verse 23, do you see what it said there? And when he got into the boat, his disciples 
followed him. <laughs> this is still about what it means to be a disciple and follow Jesus. He's still on that topic. And these are people who are in the boat with him who have stepped out of the crowd. And they've gone from fans to followers. And they've said yes to the first two points, right? Jesus has said, are you sure you want to follow me anywhere? Because it's going to cost you. And they've said yes. And they've said yes to the second point, that, hey, there aren't other things more important. You follow me now. And they've said yes. They've said yes to the first two points. And now they're getting in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus went to sleep on them. You can't make this stuff up. This is crazy. And a storm came up. Well, that's fine. At least four of the disciples are fishermen. They know how to handle a boat in a storm, so we're okay. No need to bother Jesus, who Mark tells us is asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. But evidently, this storm got out of hand quickly, and it was a bad one because these experienced fishermen start freaking out. And if I'm on here and I'm just a tax collector and the fishermen who are on boats all the time are screaming, we're going to die, then now I'm afraid too, right? And so these guys start saying, oh my, we're going to die. They're afraid for their lives. Mark 4 down in verse 38 says they start asking questions like, Jesus, don't you care we're going to die? They're afraid. Before I get to Jesus' answer, do you hear what this vignette is saying? It's saying that even as followers of Jesus, when we make the commitments that he asked us to make and we get in the boat and we're going to follow him anywhere, storms will still come. We're still going to face our deepest fears even when we follow Jesus. We're still going to have those nagging questions even when we follow Jesus. Don't you care that we're being hurt, that we're in trouble? Following Jesus doesn't mean that we don't face storms. It doesn't mean that our questions go away, and it doesn't mean that everything is okay, that we don't have to face our fears any longer. then why follow Jesus? That's a fair question, right? If he doesn't take all that stuff away, then, then why follow him? Two things to think about. Number one, all the other boats on the Sea of Galilee at this time encountered the same storm, right? People on land still faced storms. So it's not like if you don't follow Jesus, you avoid the storm. Or if you don't follow Jesus, you don't have to face your fears. Or if you don't follow Jesus, you don't have nagging questions that plague you. So not following Jesus doesn't help you to avoid all these things. That's number one. And number two, while it is true that Jesus does not give us immunity when we follow him, but Jesus does give us himself. 
You see, all the other boats on the Sea of Galilee face this storm as well. But the difference is Jesus is in the boat with these guys. That's the difference. They're still afraid. They still have questions. They still face storms. But they're with Jesus. That's the difference. Don't you see each of these three vignettes is being so honest with us to point out the cost of following Jesus. But in each, Jesus is offering himself. And the first one, he's saying, listen, if you follow me and identify with me, it's going to cost loss, but you'll be with me. So it'll be okay. And in the second one, he says, yes, you're going to have to say no to other things, to be devoted to me, to follow me as a follower should, but it's okay because you'll be with me. And I'll take care of your family and your job. What we see in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And the same with this third vignette. Get in the boat with Jesus and you still face storms, you still have nagging questions, you still have to face your fears, but you're in the boat with Jesus. And you can call out to him. He's offering himself. And the question for us really comes down to, is Jesus worth it? <laughs> is he enough? And he shows in this story that he is. Look at verse 26. How does he respond? And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I'm afraid because the boat's sinking and I'm going to die. Why are you afraid? This is a hard thing, too. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he rebukes the winds and the sea, and there's great calm. <laughs> Don't you see? That even for those who have just a little bit of faith, Jesus does not withhold his help. <laughs> even for those of us who, who, who have just, uh, our faith is small, he helps. He offers his calm. He offers us peace. He offers us, as Paul wrote about, contentment. Even when our faith is small and we doubt and we ask our deepest questions and we face our fears and we panic, those who have just a little bit of faith and step out of the crowd and get in the boat with Jesus, we're not immune from being excluded or experiencing loss or, or, or having storms rain down on us. But we're with Jesus. And he can bring calm in the midst of a storm. He can bring peace that no one and nothing else can. Oh, don't you see? The text is saying that Jesus controls the whole world just like he does this storm. And Matthew is teaching us that Jesus can bring calm and contentment and peace when nothing else can. So you can trust him. You can give up those other things for him. He is enough. He's the only one that can come through for your family. He's the only one who can get us safely to the other side. That's what we're to learn from the text. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you just needed that reminder. Because you are afraid. 
because you have those nagging questions, because you face storms in your life, because you've experienced loss, because you're tempted to follow other things besides Jesus, and you needed this reminder. I'm glad you were here to get this reminder. Maybe you're here today and you're trying to decide whether or not to follow Jesus. You're thinking of coming out of the crowd. You're thinking of getting into the boat with Jesus. And Jesus says this weird stuff. And he's hard to understand. And he says hard things. But listen, Jesus is so honest with you. There's no bait and switch here. I don't know why you don't like the church or why you don't like religion or why you don't like denominations, but man, Jesus is so honest. And he just says, if you follow me, there's a cost, <laughs> but it's worth it. And then he gets in the boat, and you're free to stay on the shore or get in the boat. Do you notice that? He just says these riddles to these two folks. And did you notice in the text, we're not told how either of the people in the story responded. Jesus just leaves it up to them. And he leaves it up to you as well. And he leaves it up to me. What will it be in your story? What will it be in mine? And here we are together. With this guy who says hard things and tells riddles. And we're here together trying to figure out how to respond. I say let's follow Jesus above all else. Let's get in the boat with him. Let's pray now and ask him to help us do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is so hard to let go of other things to hold on to Jesus. Oh, we're willing to preach against letting go of bad things. But it's hard to let go of the things that are closest to us, our family, our job, our reputation, our popularity, our power, our children the respect and honor of people. It's so hard to let go of those things. But I pray that you would help us to see Jesus and to see the great reward we find, not just one day in heaven, but each day in walking with him. Please come and make that real to us, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.